Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk, a podcast on recovery with Elizabeth Pudwell and MG. We bring you our experience, strength, and hope from a variety of sources, therapy, 12-step recovery, and life lessons of long-term sobriety. To contact us, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Sober Sisters Talk. We're glad you're here. Now here's our next podcast. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. Thank you. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for a short message from our new sponsor. Hey, you guys. I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. MG and I are out here in Missouri City at Birdhouse Coffee. And we're talking to Justin Pudwell, who is my son. Tell him, what is the kind of coffee that you use? Did you say 49th Parallel? Is that where you get it? Yeah, that's that's our main roaster uh, that's, you know, basically always on our espresso machine. Um, and we don't change out of that. This is the best coffee in Houston. So stop by Birdhouse Coffee, 7270 um, Highway 6. Look for the green umbrellas. Get 10% discount. We know you guys like coffee. Sober Sisters Talk endorses Birdhouse Coffee. Absolutely. Hi, everybody. This is MG. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell, and together we are Sober Sisters Talk. Welcome. Welcome. So we are recording on a different day. Normally, MG and I meet on Friday nights and record on Fridays right before our meeting. Um, but we have a guest today, and so we are—we moved our, our recording time to Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning here in Houston, and I have to say, the Astros lost last night, and I, oh, <laughs> I'm disappointed. Aww. But I'm going to be fine. So <laughs> it's Sunday morning. It's beautiful. I have my own rituals. Um, our guest and I were talking about rituals before we started recording, and. Um, I met this woman in um, the rooms, and um, I loved her vulnerability and willingness to work. Um, she got sober in one program very young, and I'm always just really impressed with um, young people that do that because I think it's harder when you're younger, right? Would you? Yeah. There's so much more peer pressure. Yeah, and it's just so much Maybe. more prevalent, and there's no, like alternative like and in fact they even call them alternative peer groups (laughs) because there isn't any and it's like you have to go to this one so katie collins she is a therapist um she works here in houston and welcome and thank you for coming hi thank you for having me i'm really i feel very honored to be asked to do this thank you and i met katie in uh, a program called women within which is a companion program to the Mankind Project. And my therapist kept, you know, when I started going in and I was like, you know, having a lot of SLAA issues, he recommended I go to SLAA and he recommended that I go do the Women Within, uh, you know, initial weekend. And I was very resistant to any of that, but it got to a place where I became willing, you know, when we talk about like, uh, in our process and so I was willing to do anything like getting a good sponsor Elizabeth and then you know doing the women within project 
And so that's when I met her on our initial weekend. And again, like Elizabeth was saying, like the vulnerability and the exposure, I mean, it's, you know, so raw. So I really do appreciate everything that you brought to that weekend and then the subsequent, you know, meetings we had afterwards. So uh, welcome, Katie. Welcome so Thank much. You. So tell us uh, where you're, let's go ahead and get your stuff where, you know, give them if you want to, you know, let people know how to get in touch with you, like your practice, please introduce that piece of it for us. Okay. So my name's Katie, obviously. Um, my practice is called Sage Healing and it's here in Houston. Currently, because of COVID, it's virtual. Um, I do see a select few clients in my home office just out of preference and people that I've been working with for a long time. Um, I do EMDR therapy, which is an eye movement um, reprocessing um, modality. And so it, a lot of people prefer that to be in person. And so those clients specifically, I have been working with in my home office. Um, I am a clinical social worker, which just means I have my master's degree in social work, and then I did the two years clinical experience to get me to like the highest level of the social work um, platform. And I have been in private practice for three years. Um, I've been doing social work for 12 years, which seems like a really long time. <laughs> um, and prior to, my private practice, I worked for a psychiatric team with Memorial Hermann, where we did crisis intervention in the emergency rooms and, you know, just really helping those in immediate need of um, getting grounded and really helping them work through whatever, you know, it was drug overdoses, suicide attempts, um, psychosis, I mean, a myriad of things that we came across in the emergency room. So it leads me to my first question because I know Katie really well, um, and I kind of know the answer to this, but I want you to um, talk a little bit about why you call your your practice sage healing, because I know like Katie's kind of a hippie, you know, but uh, she's a little bit bohemian, but I just wanted to get the, uh, you know, what was the thinking behind the sage healing? So there, there were two reasons that I chose that. Um, in my initial days of sobriety, I attended a sweat lodge every week um, on Sundays, and sage was one of the, um, the things that we burned to clear the space and to heal, you know, clear all, all the negative energy. Um, and so I have, initially it was quite triggering because if you've ever burned sage, it smells like pot. Um, <laughs> um, and so there was kind of That's like the ritual conversation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but I grew very fond of it after I got over the initial hump of being triggered that it smelled like pot everywhere around me. And it looks like it too. It's like a big old fat, you know, right. on joint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's part of it, just that clearing all of the negative energy. And that's one of my big focuses is clearing old baggage and trauma. And, you know, essentially it's energy that lives within you. And so um, tapping into that quality of sage, but then also sage, like if you're a sage person, there's like a higher level of thinking and a deeper level of thinking. And so combining those two things just seemed to fit with me. Um, because I've done, I've done a lot of work on myself. Um, and I have, I think, you know, a, a very, um, 
introspective and um, internal processing that, you know, I like to share with people. And so my therapy doesn't come just from the books. It's also experiential and my past and what I've done to heal myself, I integrate into my therapy. The life work that you've done. And I know, because I can attest to some of this. And <laughs> you can too, if you've been through Woman Within, which is like an intensive, you know, weekend all on its own. Well, I yeah, want to talk yeah. about that. I want to talk about the idea that for me, recovery is not just about sobriety. That's a component. Okay. Right. But, you know, for me, the way that I was able to level up was to do the things like, you know, I've done sweat lodges as well. And, you know, going to an amazing therapist and then doing the women within work and then being in 12 step program and then being sponsored and being, a, you know, being a sponsor and being sponsored and how that that service work kind of continues with that. So, you know, when, when you are with a client and when you start working with them you know, do you encourage them to go to 12-step program? Do you encourage them to go to Women Within? I mean, you know, uh, what is your sort of approach when you work with someone? Yeah, absolutely. And it's just dependent on the client and what they need. But my message in the very beginning is this is something you're doing once a week. And there's other things to maintain this and to help you go deeper that you can do in the interim between our sessions. And so, you know, yes, I am there to help clients in the space when they're, you know, my client, active client. Um, but then there's also so many other things. I can't be there every single day. And so I do encourage, you know, there are so many resources, especially here in Houston, to tap into to help with that growth. And, you know, I'm their guide. That's what I say to all my clients. I am not going to tell you what to do. I am simply going to guide you to find the answers that are within you. And these are the ways, women within, 12-step program, you know, support groups of any type. And so, yes, I absolutely encourage that. So tell us who your client is. Not their names, but like, <laughs> <laughs> is, like my, are, they, are, are they primarily women and are they primarily people with addiction or is it trauma or is it children or, you know, what, what kind of people do you work with? Um, so right now, it's kind of varied throughout the years, um, but right now my primary clientele is grief and trauma, um, and it's normally, you know, ages 20 to 40, 50, 60, whatever. Um, I do see teenagers as well, um, and so, but majority are trauma, grief, you know, the deep work. Really, not just you know life transitions which is you know valid too but it's really deep painful work so now i saw a program on vice where they were talking about uh mdmr what do you call it where you EMDR. use no not emdr but mdma where you take oh, the, okay, you yeah. know to mm -hmm. do that trauma work and i was like so fascinated by that i don't have a need to do any trauma work like that but i was like a therapeutic way to get high i'm in right. you know <laughs> right we all are. We, we we all we're like ooh, what's that maybe yeah. i can bring up some drama that i can go and <laughs> and do that so you know have yeah. you ever been drawn to that kind of work you know so they have like the ketamine treatments they have the mdma then they have the psycho so i can never say that word mushrooms yeah so psilocybin i always get it mixed like the words the letters mixed up um and 
you know, I think there is validity to it. I do have a client that I'm working with right now that is doing the ketamine treatment. Um, he's been resistant to all antidepressants. He's been suicidal. Um, and he has been doing the ketamine treatment for about three months and he's complete. All of the suicidality is gone. Um, so there wow. is to it. Yeah. 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 But, but he is very dependent on it as well. So there's that flip side. He's scared to stop doing the ketamine treatment because he's afraid of falling back into yeah. Yeah. suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So the, is it helpful? Yes. Can you get dependent on it? Absolutely. Because mm. it's a substance. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I did a treatment when, uh, cause I was chronically depressed for gosh, about four years. And I was like on a hundred milligrams of Zoloft and I didn't want to be on that medication. Uh -huh. So I found this group, it's called a uh, Kriya Yoga. And uh, yes. yeah. And I went down and I did the weekend where you learn how to do this, you know, type of yogic breathing, which is almost like hyperventilating. Right. And so I went and I did that program and I did like the breathing technique for probably about two months afterwards. Uh -huh. And I have to say, I have not had a depressive episode with a capital D. Now, certainly right. I've had like, you know, small depressions where it's like, you know, whether I'm like, you know, in, in a pandemic or things like that, you know, but yeah. nothing where I was so immobilized before. So, you know, I tell you that story to tell your client that, you know, that there can be a radical change within our brain chemistry as a result of doing a thing that I don't need to continue to do that thing anymore. I mean, exactly. you know, exactly. Do, do you believe right. that as well? Yes. Yes. And actually, I mean, you know, full transparency, I have suffered with depression since I was a child and I've tried every antidepressant there is. I've tried every therapy there is. I've done so much to try to heal this depression without being on medication because of whatever I tell myself it means to be on medication, which is, you know, really nothing but society, you know, societal, whatever. Um, but I recently have been doing neurofeedback, which does kind of the same thing. It restructures your brain chemistry. And um, I am on like session, almost 40 sessions of neurofeedback. And I have drastically seen a decrease in, in depression. Um, and, you know, like, like you were saying, it's not something that's constant. But something like the pandemic really like spun me off a little bit, you know? And so trying to find in those moments alternative ways to work with brain, work with chemistry, you know, and really find alternative solutions to, to depression specifically for me. That's I love amazing. This because I do think that, um, you know, like MG said when we started, there is the getting sober, but that really is just. All that does is take away the dependency so that you can become um, clear about what you're really doing, what your patterns are. And then the 12-step program kind of like helps expose that a little bit. But for me, and I think for you two women as well, um, there's a need for so much more, which is why Sober Sisters came along because MG and I work multiple programs and I know you did and or do to Katie and um, also you know I know that you are I don't know if you still do but you, that you are practicing yoga like regularly and a, and a very accomplished yogi 
And um, I just wanted to talk about the different ways, you know, all of the things that people can do that are, you know, and especially we have a lot of, I notice, very new kind of real struggling um, women in our listener group is, mm-hmm. that come to the meeting and, um, you know, they're in withdrawal. So what what are the, the, the many tools that somebody can use to, you know, aside from, you know, get to a 12-step meeting, get to a SLAW meeting, get a sponsor and start working the steps. Mm-hmm. So we know that. Aside from that, what else can someone do and talk about, you know, your own practice with yoga or whatever else that you have used? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, meditation is a big one. Yoga is a big one. Just getting out and moving, you know, being out in nature, being in the sunshine, you know, sunlight. Um, what I have realized for myself is when I stop depending on something, aka an addiction, that you have to find something to replace that because you have a void that needs to be filled. And so you can choose to fill the void with something positive and holistic or your addiction or whatever is going to fill itself. And so for me, it's been really tapping into what makes me feel like I have purpose um, to replace that piece that I was just trying to find a sense of like being and wholeness. And it was with all of these things that really didn't create it, but mimicked you know, what that would feel like until it didn't work anymore. Um, And so, you know, some of my things that I've done is I've traveled the world, you know, um, really. so funny. I was just going to say, do you think travel is one of those? Because I know, like, you know, she can manifest a trip better than anyone I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because it's, it opens your eyes to a whole new culture, gives you, a a different level of meaning of what life is and how different cultures live. Um, So travel was a big one until I had my son. Um, (laughs) So now I don't travel as much anymore just because, well, and the pandemic, but travel really gave me that sense of purpose. And I would travel. I went to Nepal and did a Vipassana meditation, which is like a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And so I incorporated like my spirituality with my travels and that was really, really healing for me. That's really cool. Let's talk about spirituality a little bit because it, you know, the 12 step program, it is a spiritual program. It's not religious. So right. I do want to be really clear about that. It is not a religion, but, um, you know, how do you create a, a spiritual, um, being a spiritual part of yourself, a spiritual practice without moving into the religious part of it. And and I want to hear that, Katie, in terms of like where you were and where you are and that path to get there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I grew up Catholic. And for anyone who knows about Catholicism, it's a very, for me, my experience with it was very shaming. I was scared of God. I was scared of everything I did. I remember like at age five, I stole like a piece of gum and me having to go to confession. And so I didn't go to hell (laughs) for stealing a piece of gum. And then as a five-year-old. Right, right, right. And then, you know, like the sexual aspect of that, whenever I started having sexual feelings, really feeling a lot of shame about that because 
you're not supposed to feel that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not until you're married, you can't experience any sexual pleasure. And so like those two things really um, formulated my relationship with God, which was, I'm scared. I, I feel like I can't do anything right. And I'm just like, I'm just going to go to hell because I have all of these very natural things, but I've been taught that they're wrong. And so getting into AA when I was 23, when I got into AA, um, I was scared of God, that word God. But what I learned and what I've been able to formulate is it doesn't have to be the God that I grew up with. It's a God of my own understanding. And for me, that was just the universal flow. And so just trusting that I was not in control, I didn't have power, but there was some magical force out there that was looking over me and protecting me. It wasn't judging me and saying, oh, you did this thing, so you're going to hell. And so, but I did really wrestle with that because separating yourself from that, you have to completely formulate a whole new idea and trust in this power because I did not have trust in God, you know, and all of these bad things happened to me. And so it was like, you know, as a child, if there's a God that's protecting, why is there abuse? Why is there alcoholism? Why is there, you know, rape? Why is there all these things if there's this God that's supposed to be protecting us? Um, and so it took going to sweat lodges. It took doing the inner work to find my own idea of what God was. And I still don't call my higher power God. I, I call it the universe because to me, that's what it is. And I believe in karma and what I put out there is going to come back to me. And so how I choose to live my life is being kind and compassionate and loving and helping other people. And that's what I get back. But it did take a lot of reprogramming my own thoughts and beliefs around, you know, this idea of there's something out there bigger than me. And what I've noticed is that I have to continue that reprogramming because I feel like there's ruts in my brain uh-huh. Like my therapist was Patrick Vachon. I don't know if you yeah. knew him. He mm-hmm. was amazing. And he would say that, you know, there's ditches on each side of the road. There's the ditch is always three feet on each side. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I lived a lot of my life in the ditch. And so, you know, that's like a go-to or there's a rut in my brain where I go mm-hmm. into that, especially under duress. And right. so, you know, I, I, I've had to retrain my brain often. And so sometimes, you know, I work with women and, and they're like saying, you know, why am I thinking this way or why am I doing that? And I'm like, we're going back into that groove. We're going back into the ditch. And uh-huh. so how do you continue that practice of like redirecting, redirecting, redirecting? Mindfulness, just being aware and having that time in meditation to sit with myself and, you know, just... <sighs> still and be aware of my thoughts. One of the things that I always teach my clients is everything starts with a thought. So you have a thought that then turns into an emotion and then the emotion forms a reaction. So if you can have awareness and um, mindfulness of your thoughts, then you can control your reaction. But if you're just letting your thoughts go on autopilot, then you're going to keep responding and reacting the same way. So it starts with being aware, but you have to be still to be aware. So, you know, it's all kind of mindfulness and meditation. Is that, who's got the dog? It's me. I'm so sorry. I'm dog sitting. So I apologize (laughs) to our listeners and to you guys 
for the interruption. No, it's okay. Let's just wait a second and see if we can get it. Come here. Come here. Go inside. Come here. Come here. Okay. Let me just. Let me just. Thank you. Oh. oh. Okay. We're good. Okay. Good. Well, I love that practice, and, and Katie, and I think that was one of the first things that we learned in SLAA was, what are you thinking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wanted to mention, so I had met with a client on um, Friday who was talking about um, a practice of meditation and journaling and affirmations. And I was telling her, look, this it's cumulative. It is not this. It is not a fire hose type of practice. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't. Oh, my God, I'm crazy. I better go meditate. Right. It's not going to do what you want it to do. Meditation takes, you know, you got to start and you, you can start with just 10 minutes a day, but mm-hmm. you got to be consistent because our brains are like, I mean, I don't know about yours, but mine is like still, <laughs> you know, you know, and the meditation and I learned this in yoga. It's just like when I'm in, when I do a yoga practice, the only thing that I can think about is what that yoga teacher is saying. Sometimes I'm like, come on, <laughs> get me out of this plank, you know, but it's like, that is it. I can all, it's all I think about. And it is such a refreshing way to end my day to clear up all of that stuff. Like just, and I feel so rested afterwards. You would think not because it's sweaty and it's hard and it's effort, but there it's, it's just listening to someone else and there are recorded meditations you can go on youtube i need a 10 minute guided meditation and do it but it's not a fire hose type of practice it's not gonna you know (laughs) it's a cumulative thing you've got to do um days and days of it in order to have that the um benefit from it well absolutely and i think that you know that speaks to what katie was talking about earlier is this mind body connection and like being physical, you know, we're we're not just emotional beings up in our head. There's a physical component. And when I was in New York, I learned, I went to this SGI Buddhist practice where we chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. And we do it like en masse, you know. And to be in a space of like 400 people chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo is like, man, it really shifts. It shifted my energy way up. And I remember feeling guilty. I'm like, because I'm high, man. I'm high. I feel so amazing from this, like, chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. And so, you know, is it bad? You know, I was like, am I high? You know, I was, like, worried about it. And, you know, when it's not, it's about bliss. And it's Uh about, like, extreme joy. And I think that sometimes as an addict, I shy away from that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of, like, you know, because, you know, that's my trauma, like bond with addiction. It's right. like, you know, sexuality almost killed me. So how can I shift that? So, you know, I'd like to also hear, Katie, about like, you know, successes that you've had in your life and successes with your clients. Because so often, like our newcomer comes in and they're just all in the doom and gloom. How is it ever going to get better? And, uh-huh. you know, uh, Elizabeth and I, we always really try to talk about like, you know, there's laughter on this end, you know, there's a lot of joy and peace. So I'd like to hear like uh, some success stories in yourself and others. About where I've been able to find that joy and peace. Like getting high, like getting high without getting high, you know? Yeah. So sweat lodge. I mean, that was the biggest one because it, it does, it changed every part of my chemical makeup. 
you know, just being in that extreme heat and then going into the cold and then extreme heat or not, maybe not even cold, but just a different temperature. Um, but I think, you know, obviously whenever I got into AA and then when I got into SLAA and then when I got into Al-Anon and then when I got into adult children of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, there was always that point of just like despair and hopelessness. So I want to go, I want to touch on this because this is the, this is the platform MG and I come from is the multiple programs. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm always like, it's all the same stuff. Why, you know, what was it that, that moved you from AA to SLAA to ACA to Al-Anon? Inner exploration. You know, you take away one thing. And so for me, I took away the cocaine, the alcohol, the pot, the, all the drugs, whatever. But then I was still left with this pain. And so with each program, it exposed, like, this is the area where your trauma is. This is the layer wounds are. And so I would, you know, so I got sober and then I got stayed in abusive relationships. And I stayed in relationships where I was used, I was not treated, you know, like a priority. I wasn't, you know, and so then I was like, okay, so this comes from the relationship with my mom, okay and the relationship with my dad. I think it's, you know, both. Um, And so it was just with each one, it was a layer that was removed. It's the killing the onion that they talk about. And so for me, you know, at the core was adult children of alcoholics and growing up in an alcoholic family, which I knew, but those, the programs prior to ACA didn't address that like I needed it to be addressed at that deep of a level. And I think it goes back to the beginning, what we were talking about. You got it. You know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. You know, that is the self-actualization, but you've got to get sober. You got to get the foundation. You know, you got to remove the addictions and get rid of all of this stuff in order to move towards that Uh self-actualization. And I do want to ask too, because I know that you are in a relationship now and I know um, quite a bit about your past relationships that were, you know, not what you wanted. So tell us about, um, you know, how you got to where you are now in your relationship. So I think for me, it was about self-worth, self-love, and knowing that I deserve to be treated um, like a woman and deserve to be treated where I am cherished and, and loved. And a lot of my messages growing up was I was unworthy. I, you know, what love looked like in my home was a drunk mom that yelled and screamed and was physically abusive. And so that's how I formed what love was. And so I was constantly trying to get love, but it always mirrored the relationship with my mom because that's all I knew. Um, And so with all of these programs, I just, I got to a level where behavior from friends, from coworkers, from bosses, there's an unacceptable layer or unacceptable behavior um, that I just learned how to have boundaries. And I learned what was important to me and I really learned what I was worth. Um, And so that's how I got into a very loving marriage. You know, I was 43 when I got married, um, first marriage. And it took me all of that time to really internalize my, my level of worth. 
Um, I know like one of the things that you really worked hard on was um, what you wanted in that relationship. Yes. Other than just like, you know, um, being attracted to somebody and then making that work, Uh you you had to go backwards several times and just like, you know, I may be attracted to this person, but it's not going to like sustain. And so right. really getting clear about what would sustain you in, mm-hmm. in a committed relationship. Yeah. And I got that from law of attraction. You know, when we were doing the law of attraction groups of really getting clear, doing the daily homework of writing and writing and writing and getting clear on, is this what I want? Or is this something that I think I want? And really being able to differentiate that and forming this ideal of, you know, what I wanted to be treated like, what kind of financial security I wanted to have, where I wanted to live. You know, I mean, there was, I down to the nitty gritty. Um, and I really was able to get clear with that in law of attraction. Well, that's a success. And I mean, you know, getting back to, you know, like, uh, where we can encourage, you know, those who are struggling or newcomers is that, you know, there is hope. And, you know, in your case, and I think in all of our three cases, it comes from a lot of work. And a lot. A lot of willingness. Willingness. And, and uncovering and uh, not being afraid to look at those, you know, like the, the way I sort of likened it was like deep, deep sea diving. That, you know, mm-hmm. those things are hidden, they're below uh, but, you know, I'm in like a, a suit, like a diver suit, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, the protection of my therapist and uh-huh. my sponsor. And so I can don that suit and I have like the hose going back, which is like, you know, messages of like hope and recovery that can keep me sustained while I go down there and look through you these artifacts. There has, to be, there has to be safe waters. And I know, like, I love Katie, you know, we worked closely together for, for several years. And um, I know in a lot of relationships, she did not feel safe. And that part, you've got to find a, like, I feel safe in this space where we three are right here. Mm-hmm. But I don't always feel that way. And so, you know, if you are new in recovery, find those women that you do feel safe with now that doesn't mean like because her and i have had some like and i've had them with you too like what the fuck are you doing you know it doesn't mean it's not direct and it's not i'm not going to call you out or your 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 group or your tribe won't because the women who really do feel safe and are safe for you will call you out right but you got to find that place you've got to each each person in recovery has to find that place where you are the safe waters well and yeah. I and I could hear it from you Elizabeth because I know that you're loving and so when you would say things like if you do that I'm not going to sponsor you any longer because uh-huh. I would consider you acting out and you uh-huh. said it in such a clear direct way and it wasn't threatening but it was very strict and uh-huh. so you know if my mother would have said something like that I would be like fuck you you know but I didn't hear it like that from you, because I know that you do have like this loving presence. And so I'm, we're able to hear it from others. And I can remember when I was first in SLAA, you know, I had my qualifier living with me and I was so triggered. And my therapist was like, well, we can take those triggers and we can work through those triggers. 
And all of these slaw women are like, get him the fuck out of your house. What are you doing? It's crazy. Get him out. Get him out. Get him out. And so it was like, you know, of course I wanted to keep him. So I was like to my therapist, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's work Tell through the triggers. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> but then I got into so much pain. And these slaw right. women were like, you don't need to be in that much pain. Get him out. And then I was able to. Right, right. I'd like to cover one more area because I know that um, Katie worked really hard on this as well, your relationship with your family. And we can edit this out if you're not comfortable um, sharing this. But I know, I remember that Easter when you came over and you're sitting on my couch and you're talking about how horrible it was. And I, I, I'll never forget the look on your face. I said, well, you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. And you were like, what? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, like you, you don't have to go to Thanksgiving and you don't have to go to Easter. And what, what would that look like if you didn't? What, what would you want that to? And I don't even remember what happened. Like if you did go, I think you did skip a year. Mm-hmm. If you could just talk about like how it felt to like maybe look at it that way and then envisioning what you did want your family holidays to look like and how that helped. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, for the first time, I was like, oh, wow, I have choices. I have choices. I, I don't have to do what everyone tells me to do. I am an adult and I have choices. And that was a really powerful moment of like a new reality for me. Um, and, you know, with holidays, and this goes into another 12 step program, but with holidays, it was it's like, binging, eating, you know, that's how I managed my emotions with my family at holidays. And I think that Easter I was doing the OA program and part of my reasoning for not going is because I didn't want to relapse in that program and, you know, go and eat half a pie because I don't know what else to do with myself. Um, And so just that moment of clarity of, Actually, I get to decide my reality. I get to make choices based off of what I need and what's going to make me happy. I don't have to appease my family just because they're my family. And that was really a gift of all of the 12-step programs is the message of you get to choose who your family is. You know, just because you were born into a family does not mean you owe them anything. And that was new for me. You know, part of me taking care of my mom was because she was my mom. Regardless of what she did to me, she was my mom. And having that, no, she can be your mom, but if she treats you like shit, you don't have to be around that. (laughs) You need boundaries there, dude. Yeah. Right, right. And so, you know, I mean, even to this day, I don't have a strong relationship with my mom. We're Facebook friends. That's about the extent of it. Um, (laughs) And that's where, that's where I'm comfortable you know, because of it's me respecting myself um, and having that boundary of you can be this much in my life, but I know if you go any further, it's going to be abusive and I'm not doing that anymore. And so, you know, it was very, very powerful. And with that, with my dad and my stepmom, you know, things have shifted very much because of the internal boundaries that I've set for myself. They haven't even been boundaries that I've had to express to them, but like saying, well, I'm not going to come over until noon and I'm going to leave at one or two because that's my max. And so finding that space of what's healthy and what's not healthy and 
treating myself like I deserve the healthy aspect and setting those boundaries. And the per- the people who changed in that relationship is not your parents at all. It's at you. all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm listening to this podcast called Beyond Bitchy: Mastering Boundaries. And it's, and it's a woman that went to, I think, U of H. And I can never remember her name. I'm so sorry. I want I would love to have her on. And, you know, one of the first things in her first few podcasts, she talks about the basics. And she talks about our boundaries that we have to protect others from us. Where mm-hmm. we close our mouth. Where we don't say what we want to say. And that's like a really key boundary. So, you know, that sounds like, you know, what you were learning how to do. So, you know, it's, again, more of this awareness and more of this mindfulness about how we are in the presence of others. And, you know, containment, containment, containment. I just love that word because it's like, you know, I contain myself and, you know, and then I don't uh, allow others around me, like until a certain point to like, you know, give me their stuff. I'm like, no, no, that's enough. Right. That's amazing. Well, before we uh, sign off, please remind um, our listeners how to get in touch with you if they're looking for a therapist, especially the EMDR. I'm so happy to hear you're doing that. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And I'm always looking for somebody who does EMDR to refer to. So It's so powerful. I've done it. It's amazing, listeners. It's amazing. It is, it is amazing. I've done it myself, which is why I got um, certified in it, is because it works so well. So how do we find you? So, um, Sage Healing is my um, my practice, and the website is www.sagehealinghouston.com. Um, from my website, you there's my email, which is also it's Katie K A T Y at sagehealinghouston.com. Um, but my phone number is on my website. My email address. Um, if you go through Psychology Today, you can also just type in Sage Healing or my name, Katie Collins, and find me that way. Awesome, Katie. I'm so appreciative. Thank you for showing up this morning. Thank you awesome. so much. And listen, Thank you for having me. Woo, I'm so excited. <laughs> and uh, listeners, uh, if you need to get in touch with us, you can email us at SoberSistersTalk at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook. So if you want to search for Facebook, you can just search Sober Sisters Talk on Facebook. And in the future, we're planning on going out into the world and going to workshops and doing things of that nature so if you... it's safe we'll be out there sober sisters talk live at your at your retreat at your conference and thank Yay. you and thank you for being outside i'm outside and there might be birds and trees and trains on this podcast and it's all going to be fine so <laughs> thank you katie so much thank for being you. here okay yeah, thank you ladies thank you thank you for listening to the sober sisters talk podcast To find our podcast, we're at www.SoberSistersTalk.com. We're also on Apple iTunes and on Facebook. See you next week.